Shields up, Ironbreakers. Rickon here coming at you with another episode of the Third Fleet Podcast. This is episode 59. Gaijin Hunter, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I just uh I just got married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, I guess both of us well, kind of did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting married in an MMO for the goodies is always a fun time. But no, I'm doing good. How about you? I'm um I'm, I'm doing good. Pumped. I've been Next I've been week, living. I've I've been living in an Elden Ring, uh, basically like mm. isolation. It's, it's been so incredibly hard to basically just uh, every time I go on YouTube, I'm going like, what? Oh what? my gosh, you got to dodge everything. It's it's, I'm I'm a, I'm really sad because there are so many people that are putting stuff in thumbnails that I'm just like that. I would rather not have seen that. I would much rather not have seen that. But now I did. Thank you. Uh, but it's yeah. It's, we just we just rolled easy. credits yesterday or the day before, and yeah, uh, no, day before. Yeah, we rolled credits at about ninety-two hours. We've been playing it pretty hardcore as well. I think, and uh, we're we're doing cleanup now. But it's 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 really fun. I think at the despite rate despite some of the bosses, I think at the rate I'm going, I'm going to be rolling credits maybe next month, three months, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I, like a, I'll give you two months, two months, two more yeah, months. I, I don't know because it's it's just been really slow, but it's it's it feels so good. It's like it's a brand new adventure every time that I sit down to record. So that's been a blast, and the I'll channel hasn't imploded from me just like uploading nonstop uh, let's plays of friggin' Elden Ring. So that's been a nice, a pleasant that's surprise good. as well. So yeah. But um, we wanted to talk today, to guys, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast because obviously, as you guys know, there's not really a whole lot of news at the moment in Monster Hunter. There is going to be news uh, next week, but we wanted to sit down yeah, so and kind of- Yeah, excited about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm pumped as well because we haven't heard anything for a while, but it's like we wanted to sit down and kind of like set a little bit of expectations for people because- one of the things that we we still find is that a lot of people don't understand some of the differences between what is a base game version, what is an ultimate version, uh, you know, the two Monster Hunter development teams and stuff like that. There's a lot of people that are still confused whenever we talk about Monster Hunter 6 and people are like, Rise is Monster Hunter 6. And it's like, well, not really. But uh, so today we're going to sit down and just kind of like talk about that stuff so that people realize what to expect from the event that is going to be happening next week, which I will be streaming and then me and Gadget will be talking about it in next week's podcast as well. But uh, we'll start things off by talking about the uh, the two teams uh, kind of like uh, the yeah. Monster Hunter, the Monster Hunter has, right? So, yep. Gaijin, I'll let you get started on this because you have way more experience in this stuff than I do because you also live in Japan and all this stuff. So, tell us about the two teams that work on Monster Hunter. I mean, now it'd almost be like three teams, right? Because you also more, have yeah. the, the yeah, stories. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us about that. And when you say teams, it's, I mean, th they swap members yeah. all the time. Like, they're going in between. One guy will produce on one, produce on the other. The game designers are working on both or one or the other. Like, it's just, you know, at any given time, they're working on two Monster Hunter games, right? So traditionally, how this all started was all the way back in today, actually, when we're recording this, is the 18th anniversary for Monster Hunter. So huge congrats to Monster Hunter on the big achievement. But um, it started after they did Monster Hunter on PS2. Um it was supposed to be an online game, right? Like that was like the big thing that we want an multiplayer online game. 
And so they went off to, I mean, Tsujimoto, our, our beloved producer, he was basically, his expertise was in broadband and like, you know, like network engineering type of like network games, so, which is why they brought him on. I remember, because it was supposed to be an online game. And so like he got in on the series because of that. I remember that my friend who got me into Monster Hunter, he was the one who would tell me back in the PlayStation 2 days about how he had purchased this separate dongle to the console that you would actually hook it up to have like uh yeah. and it was i'm not sure if it was it was actually internet access you would just like connect it and it would go to the internet and whatnot and it was like such a weird thing particularly in portugal at the time because like we would bear we were barely connecting our own computers to the internet and this friend of mine was connecting his playstation 2 to the internet specifically to play monster hunter because he wasn't playing anything else online in that thing it was just like monster hunter that was the thing and i was like oh okay yeah so once they came out with the game on ps2 um the the psp was starting to take off in japan and that being a very community driven machine because it's portable i mean portables have always crushed the consoles here in japan because of that yeah it's just you know being able to play on the go after school after work during lunch breaks you know the that type of uh, socializing it's not like you people just go to each other's houses outside of in major cities to play games and hang out like we do in the west so to say so having playstation portable having its own land network which was wireless you just had to be next to somebody and boom the you were online together the yeah, ad hoc it's, thing, it's, yeah. it's it's unbelievable it sounds we take it for granted today but that was a heck of an advancement for technology and gaming like that was the catalyst for online gaming basically but uh, ad hoc was sweet so it made it so people can play online without having to connect to an internet connection or anything like that and just play with their friends. So they said, okay, um, Ichinose was um, a director in Capcom, and they asked him and a very small team, I think it was like eight people, it was like really small. They said, can you port over this game to the PSP in like six months? And so <laughs> for in like half a year, they ported over the game, but they found it was really easy. They're like, it wasn't that we were like geniuses. They're like, it was actually really painless. Like the PSP was pretty darn powerful. And everything worked really well. They're like, in the you know, the whole ad hoc is just, it's really well done. So he said, you know, it wasn't that, it wasn't that challenging for them. And then obviously they saw good success on that. So Monster Hunter um, Portable was born. And that was basically the Monster Hunter G. So you had Monster Hunter that was released on PS2. The, um, then they made Monster Hunter G which was basically they couldn't stop working on the game and keep adding stuff. So they said, okay, let's just make a an enhanced inversion of the game. Yeah, because... Which th some of the people, features got into the Western version early. People need to understand that at this time, live service games were not a thing. So you wouldn't just be able to like repeatedly patch your game and whatnot. So it's like, oh, we, yeah. we're working on this game. We've got to make like a new version. You would release an actual expansion. And it's interesting yeah, that you say that the PSP was so easy to develop because like it almost makes you wonder what happened to Sony from the PlayStation 2 to the PlayStation 3 because they, oh, like yeah. everybody says that development for PlayStation 3 was like Hell, night yeah. nightmare. <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> I mean, they lost Monster Hunter because of it. They literally pulled the plug on Monster Hunter Tried. They, were, they announced it for the PlayStation 3 and they were developing it for over a year and then they completely canned it and started over on the Wii. Because they said this machine sucks. Um, Wait, they actually so that, said that the machine sucks. Uh, in an interview, they said that there was too many. It was there's too many technical hurdles to get over. It was just um, wow. 
it, it was getting in the way of development, so they decided to move over to the Wii for development reasons. So, damn. Oh yeah, yeah. That wasn't. Uh, that's just pure technical reasons because Capcom has always a team has always liked to focus. They're very focused on hardware, and they they don't seem to really care or have favorites. They like all the hardware, but the Monster Hunter teams in general like to focus on one target hardware and really develop something that's new, advances the formula, but is tailored very specifically to that device, right? So, like, if it was a 3DS, they chose it because they said, you know, there's new things we can do with a touch screen and separating the map from the top screen. Like, it, it inspired them. They had lots of different ideas of things that they wanted to do. And I my guess is that at the same time, the Vita didn't really inspire them because while the Vita is a wonderful machine, it was marketedly, it was marketedly, marketed it, marketed horribly yes. here in Japan. Um, and a lot of the features didn't really have much of a use for in the game, right? It was just, I mean, two analog sticks, great. You didn't have to claw. A touchable back panel, yeah, weird. Uh, good for, you know, soft porn games, I guess. <laughs> Horny time, but, uh, <laughs> you know, giving back massages to your characters in the game, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it was just a really weird thing. It suddenly dropped the ball in, in for lots of different reasons, but... it's. It's Anyways, funny that you say yeah, so. in in Japan because like th- at least in Japan the Vita had a scene. Oh, it had. It, it bloomed in the West, after it crashed. In the West, it was like this. The Vita was like, ooh, it's <laughs> gone. Yeah, but people gotta remember, like Japan is not just like they'll just eat up anything. Like the 3DS was bombing here after it was released. Mm-hmm. It was bombing everywhere, and then they turned the ship around, and it was unbelievable. But um. The Vita as well, like, it did really bad, and then it just, it found its own niche, and all of a sudden people were making tons of games. There was, like, 30 games coming out, like, every week here, and and just, the, like, a few years ago. And like, the Vita's niche in, in Japan was softcore porn games? <laughs> Not really. I mean, I, I say I'm, that as... I'm in, joking. I, there, there, there were a lot, a lot of, them, of that, but, actually. Yeah, but... Uh, There's a lot of them, but it's also half and jest. There was actually a lot of really good games as well, but yeah. it almost became like, not like indie, because they're not indie games, but it came more like the double-A budget game machine, where lots of experimental fun games, like, you know, visual novels or puzzle games or character-driven things, including, you know, novelization-type games with you know, sexy characters and stuff like that. Yeah. But also really great action games as well. It just became a really nice little niche device and people fell in love with Toki it. Den, like, like Tokiden, Soul Sacrifice, Gra- Gravity Rush in particular. Oh, You great, ever played yeah. Gravity Rush? The first I one? I did, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, I love that game. That game was amazing. But uh, now we're getting totally sidetracked, so I'm, yes. I apologize. So, yeah. <laughs> so Monster Hunter started um, with the we call it the console team, but it's just the, the Monster Hunter team, right? And they're making it. Then they ask Ichinose, this other director, and says, hey, can you port this to the PlayStation Portable? He does that. Um, and that becomes the Monster Hunter G version, so it becomes Monster Hunter Portable. So I want to make a distinction here because people fight about this all the time on Twitter, and it's dumb about this is it a main game or is it a spin-off game yeah. i it, it's so annoying because Capcom has their own specific terminology for it um and it doesn't match what anybody uses and nor does it actually matter um which is the other thing that bothers me um but so that from there was born the portable series right because monster Hunter to them was always a console experience they had their team and they would make what they call in japan the numbered titles right like the generational the big generational jump titles, right? So after they did Monster Hunter Portable, the other team was working on Monster Hunter Dose um, for PlayStation 2. So that was the next, you know, 
major release for the series. Um, and then, you know, portable teams started working on Monster Hunter Portable 2nd. Um, and then they then they made Monster Hunter Portable 2nd G and stuff. And they got in this route where they sort of took turns, right? So you had, like, your main numbered titles coming out on the consoles, selling, like, 800,000, 700,000 maybe. Then you'd have, like, the Monster Hunter Portable games coming out, hit a million, <laughs> you know? And then and it was just... And then around the second generation, it started to change in a way that Monster Hunter Dose and the second Monster Hunter Portable game are not the same game. Like, they did not just take the same game and port it over to the PlayStation Portable. They took a lot of the elements, like the new weapons, a lot of the new maps and everything, but stuff like... Um, like the villages and play the story, the, even like the flagship monsters are different in the portable games. Like they became their own thing. And that's where Ichinose was saying, like they were on the same, still on the same floor at that point for second gen where his team was developing portable second alongside the team that was making monster, monster Hunter dopes. Um, so they were able to share a lot of stuff and work on stuff. It was still a very small team. I think he said there was like 30 or 40 of them uh, on there. So obviously getting bigger in scope, but they were able to do more original stuff. Um, and it just became kind of like an un, unspoken thing that, you know, the main numbered titles would try to make major advancements in the formula and the portable games would master it, so to say. And it would also try new stuff, almost like a good test bed. And so each Nilse way back then said that, you know, he wanted the portable series to have its own distinct feel. So he wanted to lay into the animals and really flesh that out and make that a focus point which is why stuff like the feline kitchen was introduced in the portable games. Uh, palicos were introduced in the portable games. Um, felines were introduced. Uh, prowlers were introduced. Everything. Uh, so, Palamutes, like all the, the, the animal-based stuff is all portable series-focused stuff. So when people like that, there is this like notion um, online and in the community sometimes, particularly from people that start more recently, not not necessarily like saying it's a bad thing that people start recently. Start whenever you had to start. Like so long as you are enjoying yourself, that's what matters. Doesn't matter if you're a fifth fleet or second fleet or first fleet or whatever. So long as you're enjoying Monster Hunter, that that's all that that's all that matters. Don't think about like oh. I've been hunting since the days of Monster Hunter 1. Oh, you younglings have no idea. Back in my day. If, it's like that. If you're, if you're already playing your second game, you're a veteran already. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's whatever. It doesn't. But there, yeah. there, there is this notion online that it's like, okay, so there's the, the main team that does the good games, and then there's the, the <laughs> team that does the spinoffs. And th that's one of the reasons why I wanted to explore this today in the podcast is because, as yeah, you can yeah. see, it's like it's not as simple as that. It's 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 more like each team is servicing a different type of audience, and sometimes those yeah. audiences happen to overlap. So, like for instance, in the case of me and Gaijin, we'll play Monster Hunter games whether they're portable, whether they are uh, in a mainline console, whatever. And maybe for some people, they're now beginning to learn that maybe that's not the case, because you know a lot of people played Rise and they complained about it, and like, oh, world was much better. Yeah. It's like. It's not that world was this so much better thing. It's more like you just happen to like that main console experience better. So you will be better served by the team that does like the, the big console series. And maybe the more experimental portable stuff is not something that you're yeah. into as much. That That's I just like that people need to try out console games on portable machines and portable games on console machines because I think it's not intuitive as people think like people think like oh it's just a game like just put it on a portable and you're all good no it, it's actually yes. 
it's really it's it's very nuanced. Like you you take a game that was designed for longer play sessions, for larger screens, for online activity and and stuff like that, and you put all the little minute game decisions like how big are we going to make the town, how many options are there in the menus, what is the structure of the grind. There's a lot of really small things that go into that. If I had Monster in the World on a portable machine, I probably wouldn't be playing it so much because it yeah. it's not made for the portable experience. And I think people playing Monster in the Rise on PC probably feel it like it doesn't. It's not a sit at home PC console game. You're playing a portable game on a PC, which of course has the benefit of running really well because it was designed for a lower end machine, so it runs fantastic. But it's just there's game design decisions that really influence that. And I know people are like, oh, that's an excuse. It's just Nintendo money. I'm like, no, it's it's actually like that. It, it, it's interesting, though, because the Switch does kind of like straddle that line where it's like, well, but is, is the Switch a home console? Is it a portable console? So what ends up happening is a lot of people, they just play their Switch docked all the time. They don't really play yeah. it like off out, out of the, the dock, which which basically means that like, look, the game was designed to work in both situations. It's like if you want to sit in the dock, but obviously some concessions were made to be optimized for uh, portable play sessions. Portable, yeah. Which which is I mean, why, that- like, I think these are some of the fastest hunts that we've seen in the game in terms of like just even time. Yeah, like we'll we'll get to we'll get to rise, time. but I mean that started with Tsujimoto San going to Ichinose San saying. Yeah. Right when they started the development of Monster Hunter World, he went to them and they started working on Rise. That's how long it was in the making. And he said, I want a extremely portable Monster Hunter game. I want you to, that's the key word, make it portable. Like, yeah. you can ignore what we're doing on World. Let's make a really great portable game. And that was the goal. So, I mean, they they made they chose a direction and they they committed to it. And, you know, size of the UI, everything, every, the speed, the the easy in and out, the work travel stuff like there's a lot of really good decisions that went into that that made me make the games feel a little simplistic so to say uh for a sit at home you know long say play session thing but hey that's another topic but i mean so sorry i'll get us back on track so you've, you've got two major teams so to say but again i team is so weird because the monster hunter it's like teams you, you are all it- same members right you, you think of it like, for instance, when you used to do uh, schoolwork and you would have like different groups. It's not like, oh, this group is set in stone and we're, we're, we're the group that's going to work on this forever. It's more like, okay, for this session, here's the groups. You're grouped up with these. And it's kind of, I feel it's more like yeah, that. Yeah, you so, shuffle it. So, so you just like, you look at your, you have this one big team and you look at it and you're like, okay, uh, it's almost like you're picking a soccer team, right? Yeah. Like the Who's on this one? Like, Who's on that one? I want, I want you for my team. I want you for because you know better about like this interface yeah, yeah. thing. You know better about uh, the portable experience. You know better about the console experience. It's just yeah. kind of like shuffle people around. So, and people so there's like no animosity the between the teams because yeah. to them they're all probably the same team. It doesn't. It's it, they're just working on both or different titles. It's not a big deal. And then there's the frontier team, which. I won't talk about, but that's it, that was its own team as well in a physically different location. Even, um, well, I guess we'll touch on that a little bit later. But so, you know, second generation is when things started changing for the the signs were starting to show. Right, that's when it hit off in Japan and be, started becoming like a social phenomenon out here. You know, every celebrity, every comedian, everybody was talking about it, playing it. All the kids were playing it at school. Like you couldn't go anywhere without it. Like it was just a cultural boom, and that's what Monster Hunter Port- Portable Second did, um, which was called Freedom. Freedom Unite in the West. 
No, it was no Freedom Unite was Second G. Like the yeah, names are all G. weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Portable Second G is when the, it really took off in Japan, and it solidified the series as like a portable series. That is also when it. It was also when it took off in the West as well. Uh, I mean, I say took Slightly, off. Yeah. That, that's, the first bump. That, yeah, that was the first bump in the West was uh, yeah. Freedom Unite. Yeah, so they, they hit on something in that game, right? It was it was really perfected, the formula. I mean, hitboxes aside. <laughs> uh, and the fact that you didn't have a second analog stick. But it was like that game was jam-packed full of content. That's when they introduced the felines uh, the, that would hunt with you. They didn't have that before. Um you know, and it had a lot of social features like, you know, the guild cards and all these things that you can share. They had data downloads so that the loading was fast in between zones. Like, and the game had tons of, it, it reminds me of actually Elden Ring in a way that the game had tons of like really obscure unlockable quests. And it's like one of those things where it drives the community to just start sharing all their discoveries and things that they found out. And uh, there was just a huge amount of community. And it was just the right time. And per- it's- it was PSP at its peak. It was perfect. And I feel that that is one thing that is usually, you know, at least in my experience, it seems like there's a lot of Japanese games that benefit from that community effect of people just coming together to try and figure stuff out. Like, obviously, you had that in the Souls franchise, and you had that a lot in the Monster Hunter franchise, with you obviously being one of the driving figures of the whole thing, like the, the friggin' OG with, oh, here's here's like all the movesets for a weapon, like with the weapon guides back in the day, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was right. I just lucky, right time, right place. But um, but then third generation came, and for some reason, they were still stubborn, right? They they're like, we we we've got our portable team making the portable series, we've got the other team making the numbered titles on the consoles, and just so people know that Capcom in their own IR reports, you can go back and look at them. I'm not lying. I, I don't like I've checked my shit, so don't like. <laughs> They refer to G releases or the ultimate releases as spinoff titles. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, in their IR report. So don't come at me with what you think a spinoff means. Like when they say mainline series, they mean that it's takes place in the main universe of Monster Hunter. So the portable series and the numbered, the console series are all mainline games. Now, whether they are a numbered release or they are a spinoff depends. Like if it says Monster Hunter you know, or Monster Hunter Dose, or Monster Hunter Try, Monster Hunter 4, Monster Hunter World, those were main, like, main's a bad word. Those were numbered releases, right? Yeah. Uh, So generational releases. All the G-Rank expansions for those, or the Ultimate Editions, are all spinoffs. They're spinoff expansions. And all the portable series are their own unique theme, but also take in tons of inspiration from what the number titles are doing during that generation, so they're considered spin-off uh, releases inside the mainline series, where something where Monster Hunter Stories is not a mainline game. So it takes place in a different universe where it has different lore, different um, rules that it goes by, even though it's very similar, it's not the mainline games. So, you know, the whole idea of having Kokoto Village or Poki Village and all that kind of stuff, like be the main continent, the old continent, new world, like that's all a mainline series thing. And there's certain things, you know, there's pillars that they won't break for mainline series games. Frontier is also a spinoff. It's not, but it's also not a mainline game either. So they were, they were given the freedom to do what they wanted to do. Where mainline, they have certain consistencies that they, they push for, right? Um, to make sure that uh, they're, they're not breaking those boundaries. But 
Yeah, so you had the portable team, you had the, the other team going, and then things got really weird when they got tangled in the end of third generation. So Monster Hunter Tri was announced for PS3, as I said. They canned it and moved it to the Wii. At the same time, the Portable Series team was making Monster Hunter Portable 3rd, right? And yeah. it's it's interesting because so you have, I believe what came out first was Monster Hunter Tri, and they they actually removed like half the weapons in the game, which was just like that was so bad. Like I, when I when I went to try, um, <laughs> and and because because like I went to try first, it didn't click, and then I went to Freedom Unite, and there I played with the gun lance, and then I was like, okay, now I understand how the game works. Let's go back to try, and I go to try, and it's like there's no gun lance. What? What, is, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Yeah, so Portable 3rd, when it came out, they actually said that they were hoping to add a new weapon in it, but when they realized that fans were really upset about the idea of certain weapons being removed, they actually decided to scrap that idea and just make sure that they included all the weapons in the game, and they gave every single weapon a new mechanic, all of them. So they they did a lot of brushing up and, and improvement on the weapons, um, and those stuck with the series ever you know going forward. So... Portable Third never got released outside of Japan, which is a, a bloody shame because it was a great game. Yeah. But that had its own village, it had its own story, it had its own elder, like the whole uh, you know Yukumo Village and all that kind of stuff, Zenogre, and it was very Asian in design and aesthetic with the hot spring resorts and all that kind of stuff. And that thing broke every record here in Japan. It sold like 4.9 million copies as a portable game in Japan, which is re- which is crazy. Like that Wait, was just perfect. Four, 4 million? 4.9 million, yeah, I believe. Almost 5 million copies in a like single region. That yeah. that's ridiculous, dude. Yeah. What that So because but the thing is, is and, and, and here's here's the thing cuz cuz a lot of people might even think nowadays like 4.9 doesn't sound like that much. You understand this was oh, back yeah. then. This is back then 4.9? Like that's insane. Yeah. That that's yeah, that's freaking wild. So Jeez. when three ultimate, so it's interesting because I I couldn't believe it when I read it in the interviews, but so they they were making a portable version of Monster Hunter Try for the 3DS, and it was going to be called something ridiculous. They said even the logo half a year before release was still like Monster Hunter Try work try 3d or something. I can't remember what the title was. I had it in my <laughs> video, but like but the thing is, is they started they they started with the idea of just porting it which is funny because you had the portable series team was called the portable series team because the number titles were console games, right? But now the console game team, so to say, started making games for portable machines as well. So they couldn't keep calling the portable games portable because then it would make no sense. Right. And, and, and then there was also the fact that they ported uh, portable third to the PlayStation three. I know it's so funny, right? <laughs> so everything got tight. Everything got, got, got tangled up here. Right. So like, you had the Tri team looked at what they did in Portable Third, took all of that and put it into their game, which was a smart move. Um, and then they said, you know what? We have so much new content here that we've been making, plus all the Portable Third enhancements. This should be its own title. This should be an ultimate release. This should be a G rank release. So half a year before its release, they changed the name. And people think that sounds crazy, but like half a year before you finish developing a game is when things really start to come together. Like you don't even get first fully playable feature complete games until like you know nine out months out from release if if not closer like it's games are weird like game development if you've done it you know that like things start out very 
separate and then they all come together at the very end and then fine tuning goes crazy and the progress just goes ridiculous but um, which so they say like we're gonna take a few more months for polish you're like oh okay their feature locked down and they're polishing it so that there's gonna be some really good changes being made but uh, I digress so they they release Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate on the 3DS I believe that this stunted and and threw off the portable team because they couldn't just go make a G rank release for Monster Hunter Portable 3rd G because now just ha like half a year later or, something, or a year later like right afterwards you've got now 3 Ultimate on the, the 3DS so it's just it, it was a conflict right so the Portable Series team actually like did not add an ult a G rank or Master rank to Monster Hunter Portable 3rd it's a high rank only game um, which is fascinating because it's also the best selling up until now it was the best selling uh Monster Hunter game. game in Japan, and and or best selling Monster base game. game, right? I would imagine. Or of any no, game. no, 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 because because World sold more than point. that, of course. Yeah, I was gonna say until recently, yeah, yeah, it was the the best selling. No, World did not sell four point nine million in Japan for Japan sales. Oh, uh, for Purple Japan Third sales, okay, be, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But so they got in a situation there where they they changed over to 3ds, and that was a good move because 3ds games were all selling about. I'd say 4.2 million or so, 4 million yeah. or so for each release. And that's for that's just the base. So like Monster Hunter 4, when it came out for 3DS, that was the main series team, if you want to call them that. I I mean, it's it's not really. It's, it was not Ichi no Seisan's team. It was, as director, it was the numbered title. So Fujioka and stuff like that. So they released three, uh, or, or what is it, four on the 3DS. And it takes, like that solidifies it as a portable series, right? Like, it's just selling so well here. The Wii U is a flop. Um, yep. PlayStation, they never had big sales on the consoles. They never really got over a million here anyways on those. So they move over to portable. So they make 4 and 4G. They both sell like 4 million each. So you're talking 8 million total. Um, and that's when they really started putting in marketing power in the West was around 4 Ultimate. And that's when... Because three, 3 Ultimate actually did pretty darn good in the West to the point that the people at Capcom pled their case and they got an investment towards the Western audience for 4 Ultimate. They decided not to release 4 and just wait for 4 Ultimate. And 4 Ultimate was the first title in the West that sold a million copies. A million. Yeah. I know, it's funny, right? We're talking about world selling like 10 million, 12 million, whatever in the West. It broke but, a million, and that was a but record. For, for Ultimate was also when uh, a lot of people that maybe hadn't tried, like in terms of uh, content creators and stuff, I think For Ultimate was when a lot of people that hadn't played Monster Hunter, they started giving it a shot. You start seeing yeah. more reviewers saying, oh, this is a great entry point to the series, and it was. For Ultimate was an yeah. amazing entry. It still is, in a lot of ways, an amazing entry point to the series. Yeah. It's just obviously there's you know more friendly ones now with World and Rise. Yeah, and I have my own personal take and guess on why it saw success in the West, besides just being an awesome game, is that I, to me it felt like it was more action-oriented than any other of the Monster Hunter games that I had played before because you had verticality added. Like, it wasn't just a flat terrain and shooting and hitting and pausing. Like, you had lots of dynamic action going on. So it felt more like an action game than before, and I think yeah. that pace was really good for the West. Um, for... Where Gamers for those of you that to. don't, for those of you that don't follow uh, Monster Hunter, four was when was the last time that they introduced uh, two new weapons and a brand new mechanic. So four was when they came up with the insect glaive and charge blade, and also when we first got the uh, the first mounting, like, 
first mounting mechanics ever, which was very different. Attacking from in the air, rise, off of cliffs, yeah. off of ledges, like that's yeah. all new. Every up until then, if you took like a bow gun, it was only ever a flat terrain. So no matter where you shot, if you just target the Gamasu, you were going to hit it. There were you didn't have to worry about like slopes or anything. It was all literally flat. It's kind of crazy when you think about that. Um, and it's a huge jump and change in the game design and the monster design. So that did really good. And then, so you're, you're probably wondering, okay, the, what, what happened with the portable team? Well, they came back for monster Hunt for the 10th anniversary. I think it was, yeah, um, they wanted to do an Yeah. They wanted to do an anniversary title. So they, they, they went way out and created monster Hunter generations, which is a really good t- title. It's called monster Hunter cross in Japan because of the concept. I love both names, but the idea was, hey, up until now, let's let's one do a celebration of all four generations of Monster Hunter. Let's include all the villages from the past games, including Monster Hunter Portable Third. Um, let's create a new village for this game for the fourth generation, and let's try some crazy new stuff. And so the, what they tried was, let's double down on the action. So let's add in hunting arts um, that you can customize, and let's add in hunting styles. So that there's more than just one kind of like normal way to play each weapon. There's different approaches so people can figure out how they want to play a weapon. Because I thought that was a smart move. I think that Generations like really drives home the point that you're saying about like how the portable team kind of like takes the ideas of uh, the, you know, the, the number titles. And they just like yeah. ride with those and they just completely do experimental stuff. I feel like Generations is the most experimental that Monster Hunter's ever been, even more so than Rise, I feel oh, like. Oh, yeah, and I think it I think it helped pave the way for a lot of the quality of life changes in World because yes. a lot of those were first floated with Prowler mode. And people were like, wait, you don't need hot drinks or cold drinks? What, you don't need to worry about stamina when you're running as long as you're not Big in a fight? Pickaxes, uh, bug nets, uh, don't Yeah, need you don't need any of that. What, you could tell where the monster is? Like, all these things were floated, and it didn't break the game. It, it actually for a lot of people himself included made it more fun but uh yeah so i mean you want to talk about the focus on animals right so the prowler mode was introduced as you know and i don't think we'll ever see it again because i think it was a defining feature of that game i really? th- i just don't i i mean every game has its own dna right like underwater was in one game jumping was on the other one the frenzy what, and then what if prowlers next were week, in generations what if next week the you know the new director i would shop, be so happy way, to eat those words prowler mode <laughs> i would be so happy to eat my words on that one because i prowler's my favorite weapon yeah honestly i think i've played prowler more than almost any other weapon maybe maybe insect glaive is close but uh yeah i love prowler so that was uh generations and at the same time, they were, you know, starting to work on uh, Monster Hunter um, World. Yeah. And so to fill the gap, I think they never said this officially. They would never say it officially. But I think it's pretty obvious from the game design that they weren't planning on Generations on being to get its own sort of ultimate release. But it did. Um, so they made Monster Hunter Double Cross. Or oh, the irony. Ultimate. Well, it makes me really happy that Capcom saw so much success with 4 Ultimate that they decided to localize Monster Hunter Generations, the base game, because it was at such a weird transition time in the West for World that the West didn't get Generations Ultimate until much later than Japan because it was like just not going to come out because you had the whole World engine starting up, the whole PR thing, and that was much 
a much more better game to to get out to the masses in the West. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't think I don't know whether the West would ever ever have gotten Generations or Generations Ultimate if they didn't just say no. We're going to be first class citizens. The West is going to get this game in the West. In in a way, I think that it was actually a smarter marketing move from them to have Generations Ultimate after World because now you have a much bigger base of people that can potentially look at that and it's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll check out that older Monster Hunter game, whatever, and just you know see what that's all yeah. about. I, I think that was actually a good move on them to wait, even though it pissed me off and I made videos about it and I was like, oh man. But uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was ultimately a good move because they probably want to talk about like a lot more. The difference between main team and and B, t- team A and team B, I hate those. Yeah. I've even used those terms and I hate them. So I'm yelling at myself here as well. One is not better than the other. They're both superb teams. Yep. Um, but you know you've got the team team numbered and team portable. I guess I you know team Ichinose, um, and they all love each other. Um, but the thing is, is like the director of the ultimate releases is generally a different director than the base game. Because one, the original director deserves a damn break. I mean, they've been, you know, working their butts off for years on their game. Two, it's it's a way to get other developers, you know, experience in the directorial seat, right? Try to raise talent and stuff like that, which is really important. The director of Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate is the director for Iceborne. You know, Ichihara. Like, that was his debut title. So, like, they picked him up. So, yeah, it's it's not two completely separate teams, so to say. Um, so then world comes out on console, they go back to console and they break every damn record the company's ever had. And it, it, it becomes a phenomenon everywhere in the world, especially in the West. Then Iceborne, of course, gets added to that. And then, you know, at the same time, they ask Ichinose-san, Hey, we want a portable, portable game, portable series game. And they, they've moved away from using numbers in their releases. They said they won't do that going forward. Um, so there wasn't it wasn't Monster Hunter Portable Fifth, which is technically which it would have been. Yeah. But it was Monster Hunter Rise, and now we're getting the the G rank, or I call it G rank still, even though that's not what it's called anymore. It's, it is Master Rank. Um, confirmed. I mean, because it's Capcom made a funny little boo boo, and they they accidentally uh the the Palico hit the keyboard, and they actually had a today we have released a new expansion Sunbreak yeah. and uh, <laughs> and it includes Master Rank with higher difficulty I'm like okay that was funny so yeah Master Rank releases which is much more than just a remastered expansion it's it's a full on you know build on the base game and, and make a new complete it's, it's, an, it's an expansion but yeah. in the past it didn't have the ability to sell DLC as an expansion so it was always considered like a follow up release in which it carried over your save data which is just an old-fashioned-ass way of saying it's an expansion. It's an expansion. <laughs> but if, and if you didn't have the base game, and if you just buy the expansion, you can buy so that you get the yeah. base game and the expansion. It's just a bundled so, uh, thing on disc. But at this point, you got, I'm hoping that people have a better understanding of when yeah. you know when people talk about, oh, the mainline series, the the, the side series, the spinoffs, the, team A, all of team this. B. It, it's like, look, it's just one big team, and then they just kind of like segregate, and you know, some people are going to work on this title. Probably some of the, a lot of the people that worked on World might have worked on some Rise functionality. You know, people that worked on For You might who knows, yep. right? But ultimately, it's one big team. They just kind of yeah, like but all work on portable these series, different yeah. things. There's the portable series. These are series, all mainline titles. And there's yeah. the and there's the the numbered series, whatever. Yeah. Right. Everything else, I mean, outside of five games, everything's a spinoff. 
yeah. whether it's a spinoff inside the mainline series or the non-mainline series is it depends on the title but i mean that's not to say that the same members aren't also working on the non-mainline ones like there's plenty of devs from you know the teams that had their expertise composers and stuff and as well that worked on stories you know and stories too which were fantastic games and that's not mainline that's separate but you know i don't think it matters and i don't think capcom cares about it and i don't think we should either yeah. i really don't think so but but ultimately they has got this really weird like dirty name i don't know why in the west yeah. hopefully people have a better understanding of how that stuff works and you know so, and so also so that people understand why i talk about the next monster hunter after sunbreak as being monster hunter 6 6 yeah because there's a, there's still a lot of people out there that you know come to like some of my videos where i talk about this and they're like no rise is monster hunter 6 and it's like no okay it's, well here we kind of like portable fifth most of you whatever, guys but. probably know this but i will tell you right now there is a very deliberate design choice they make when they want to denote a numbered title or generational title which is the number of dragon heads in the logo this is official so monster hunter obviously there's only one it's the rathian she's up on top of the logo that's not rathalos i know a lot of people think it is it's rathian um which so fun thing there um, Monster Hunter Dose has two dragon heads very visible in the emblem behind the logo. Monster Hunter Tri has three dragon heads coming off like serpents. Monster Hunter 4 had four dragon heads, two in the top, two on the bottom. Monster Hunter World has five. Look for it. There's five dragon heads. How many How many dragon there. heads in generations? That's the important N one. None. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't even matter. The, I mean, there's four main monsters. I mean, so I mean, I guess in a way they're capturing... The essence of uh, the fourth how many gen? how many dragon heads in Rise? I haven't I haven't actually you know I'm not two? paying attention to those. I think we got Ibushi and Narwa. So was it second gen game then? <laughs> I I love the fact that though that they also play off the generational words like fifty years ago, fifty years ago, and the next one it'll be like sixty years ago. You know, <laughs> like they they play off the the numbers quite a bit, which is really yeah. funny. But um, um, but yeah. yeah. Hopefully matter, that guys. hopefully that clears out uh, a lot of things. And now another thing that we want to talk about as well is naturally uh, what should you expect from a G rank expansion? Uh, we're yeah, gonna. I guess we'll call it. We should probably start. Yeah, master rank. To call it yes. master rank. It's, it's, it's like it's a bad habit I do as well. No, but it's like I I the thing is the reason I say G, I like G rank more than master rank. <laughs> it's just it just yeah, sounds better. Same here. But it's like, guys, G rank, Master rank, Ultimate Edition. These are literally all the same thing. If somebody says G rank, they're talking about the Ultimate version or the Master rank version, whatever you want to call it. Okay, so it doesn't really matter that much. But um, yeah. we're, we're going to be talking about what you guys can kind of expect because that is going to be something that is going to be coming up next week. We're not going to be doing predictions because we are so close that these predictions are going to be invalidated within like the next four days. So it'd be pretty. Oh, yeah. Let me make a prediction for the next four days. Like, forget about that. We're, we're going to be well, talking people about always ask me. They're like, what do you want to see most? And I'm like, what I'm not expecting. Yeah. I, we want surprises. So the thing that I can't the thing that I can't tell you is what I'm hoping for most. If it's completely predictable, that would be disappointing. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the the one point that people might have with that is like returning monsters. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that, but we, I feel like we've talked about that so many times. But yeah, let's yeah. start let's start by talking about uh, G rank expansions. So as we went down yes. the road, uh, we already talked about how you know Monster Hunter One had Monster Hunter G rank. There wasn't really end game systems being added to those games at the time. It's just like more monsters, harder monsters, pretty much, right? 
Yeah, I mean, if you want to call it an end game, there was, I guess, some optional monsters that you could unlock if you kept playing, I think, and, you, you know, you hit a certain hunter rank or whatever. But that's not really, it's not a loop. That's just, like, some extra content after credits roll. So yeah. I guess it's just called post-game at that point. It's not really an, an end game loop. Um, not in the not in the degree of what we modernly call an end game yeah. system, which is an actual gameplay loop that keeps you busy for a while. So it's like the the yeah, loop back the the loop back in Monster Hunter G was uh, the you just like hey I, I like this weapon I'm gonna make a set around this weapon that was kind of like your loop you hunt the monsters yep. you make the set then you hunt more monsters then you make another set and yeah then and you fall you in go. love with the monster and you say you know what I want to I want to hunt a hundred of them on my guild card yeah. because I love the monster and I'm gonna hunt a hundred and then you go and you go oh, I can hunt two hundred and before you know it you're hooked. Like that's what you're, you're just hunting it because it's fun and because you're getting better every time. And so, Monster is just designed in such a way that you, you can, you can feel the progress every time you do it. It's, it's really cool. So in dose, I don't really remember, but that one didn't have a G, uh, master rank expansion, right? G rank ultimate no, version. Didn't. No, it didn't so, No, But portable second did because I think yeah. it sold so damn well that they only had one year <laughs> and they made, um, that was that was made, freedom, they that made was the entire United. expansion in one year, which is insane if you think about it. So so that was Freedom Unite, and do you, do you have any idea on like how many more monsters we got in Freedom Unite? Because I, I know it'd probably be a lot, but I don't know the actual specifics at this point. A lot, I'm gonna guess it's <laughs> probably because the thing <laughs> is, is like the problem is that in general, base games don't have subspecies. This is a design choice from the teams for both any of the mainline games. So in general, I mean, there are some exceptions, but in general, like the subspecies is what they introduce in the ultimate release, like the master rank. So generally they'll take, they'll make subspecies out of all the main new monsters that appeared in that game. So let's say, you know, um, like let's say Monster Hunter Tri had Baryoth was, that was his first time in there, right? So they had the sand Baryoth in three ultimate. Um mm. And stuff like that. It's not always the case, but it's it's general. It's the general rule. Um, so just adding in subspecies means they'll have the same amount of new monsters as the base game, and then they add in, of course, returning monsters. They always add in like a you know half dozen or more of those. Then they'll often add in their subspecies for the hell of it as well. And then they have you know unique online boss, so to say, like the the gathering hub uh, new boss monster, and then you'll have like a new story boss monster. And stuff like that. So yeah, I would expect you know a good additional two or three dozen monsters. Yeah, um, a lot. <laughs> a, a lot of monsters. Then um, so with free, after Freedom Night we go to three and to three ultimate. So that was huge now, in terms of yeah, monsters that, that you got with three ultimate because like Try had eighteen monsters if I remember correctly because I looked it up at one point because when I, when I, there, okay there so I have a list here I made so. I forgive, I did not triple check this, but I, I was actually curious how many new monsters they introduced in each game, and I'll tell you. So okay. Monster Hunter 1, guess how many monsters that thing had? Monster Hunter 1? Again, if I'm, I, gonna, if I'm, I'm off by risk, like 1 or 2, I apologize, but I wrote all these down. So I I'm going to, to risk 12. 17. Wow. 17 monsters are the OGs. Okay. Gendrome, Velocidrome, Eodrome, Gypsaros, Yankuku, Cephadrome, Plesioth, Rathalos, Rathian, Basarios, Gravios, Kezu, Monoblos, Diablos, Kirin, Laoshan, Long, and Fatalis. I can't wait for you to read out the Generations Ultimate one. <laughs> so, Monster <laughs> G, so Monster Hunter G introduced 14 new monsters. 
Oh, and wow. again, I'm counting subspecies new monsters. So, yeah. you know, you got the blue Yankuku, the purple Gypsaros, the Azure Rathalos, the pink Rathian, gold Rathian, silver Rathalos, red Kezu, black Gravios, white Monoblos, black Diatlari. Now, these are just subspecies or rare yeah, species yeah. of the base game. Green Plesioth, Ashen Laoshalong, and Crimson Fatalis. So there was actually no new monsters outside of subspecies or rare species hmm. that I see in here. Monster and so, Dose added in a roster of 13 new monsters, which was crazy. Wait, wait, wait. Um, that's so, they, so, but how much? How much did they have total on Dose? I don't know. I didn't. I okay, didn't so this the, is I, just how I much. Yeah, I didn't necessarily care about the monster count as much as okay. how many new monsters were introduced. So Dose introduced 13 new ones. Um, I may as well say who they are because people might find it interesting, right? So Bulldrum, Kongalala, Kodoblanga, oh, good old grandpa with his left hook, Rajang, Damyo Hermitor, Shogun Senator, Shen Gaoren, Kushala Daora, Camellios, Teostra, Lunastra, Yamatsukami, and White Fatalis. Yamat so Yamatsukami was introduced in Dose. So uh, many yeah. so many people ask about Yamatsukami Elder Dragons to is, be brought is, back. That was such a dumb hunt, though. It was a cool <laughs> monster, but it was a really boring. I actually went back to play Portable Second Ultimate just or G just to try it. That's not a fun fight. It's a cool looking monster, but that's a dumb fight. I would not yeah. want to see it. Back. I mean, but the, I mean, if you if you think about it, Fatalis was not a you know the most engaging. Yeah, it's a fight. dumb fight. I, so, I never and, liked and it. now and now you look at Fatalis and World, and it's like, ooh, so oh, who man. knows? If they who can knows what they could the do with Yamatsukami, right? Actually, you know what? I'm going to lie. If there's one thing I do want to see them do in Sunbreak is I want to see them do just... It doesn't have to be the monster I want it to be. It could be any other one. I want them to take an Elder Dragon or some big monster and reimagine the fight like they did with Fatalis or Alatreon because those were the two best fights in the entire series, in my opinion. Like, I love them to death. So I would love them to take something like Amatsu and re completely rework that fight. That would be amazing. I don't know, dude. I'm, it's like as a Gunlands user, whenever you give me those floating monsters, man, I'm just like, mm, yeah. I don't know about okay, that. So Monster Report, so Monster Report was second. Actually, only had I only have a list here of three new monsters for that game. That's it: mm. Giadrome, Tigrex, and a Cantor. Hey, Tigrex though. Tigrex, big yeah. deal. Big deal. Monster Hunter Portable Second, Port uh, Freedom Unite had ten new monsters. And Nargakuga, which is hilarious if you think about it. Nargakuga was, is the exact same skeleton as Tigrex. It's amazing how different they make them feel in the game. Yeah. When they are they are just a variation off the same model, it's amazing. Vespoid Queen, that's a rare one you don't hear often. Damn. The King Shakalaka. Dude, King Shak. Okay, King Shak. The Shakalakas were amazing, dude. The, wait, that, the only wait, wait, time. Wait, 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 wait. So, I, so Shakalaka was introduced when? King Shakalaka was in Monster Hunter uh, 2nd G, so Freedom Unite. Huh. Then you had the first time, and I don't think the last time we'll see it, a Monster Hunter Freedom Monster was added, which was Hypnotrice. Oh. So that's the bird that makes you go sleepy sleep. Labasioth, well, we haven't Ukanlos. We haven't seen that one since, right? Hypno? Nope. What? Yeah. Yeah. Then you had Lavasioth, Ukanlos, the Plum Daimyo Hermitor, the Terra... Shogun Senator, the Emerald Kangalala, and the Copper Blagonga. I've been I've been told, and I'm you know I never really fact checked this, but m several people have told me that um, Lavazioth actually came from Frontier, so it was originally developed. Okay, in maybe Frontier. that yeah, that's 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 possible as well. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
I could be wrong. Yeah, that could be the the one or the or second one. Then Tri had 15 new monsters, so that was a big jump for generation. You you see a a thing here. Dude, the generation ones have. And Tri had friggin' Loggy. So yeah, so so get, get ready for some nostalgia in here. We got Great Jaggy, Rip, uh, Kuropeko. Oh, I love Kuropeko. Kuropeko, yeah. World Ludroth, awesome. Baroth, Gobble, Great Baggy. Lagiacris, wait, 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 Giganauts. wait, 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 Baroth was introduced with Try? Yeah, yeah, the good old freight train. Charging cool. with his head. Yeah, Great Baggy, Lagiacris, Giganox, Baryoth, Uragon, Agnactor, uh, Sadus, or Cadus, whatever it is, Oregon Gen Moran, well. Double Joe, and Alatrion. And DJ. Wow. Yeah, dude. That's it's like, big. listen, that was that was a small roster. because like the the reason I, I always know that there's there's 18 monsters in try, is because the um, there were so many arguments of people saying that Rise had the least content of any base game, and I was like, oh Jesus, sir, no. not even close. <laughs> sir, sit down, please, yep. please sit down. You, know, <laughs> you have no idea what I, you're I talking think, about. <laughs> yeah, and the monster portable third. I think if you played Monster Hunter three unite uh, three ultimate, when you go to play Monster Portable Third, it feels very much like the same game, just a different village. It's really interesting, actually, because it has it's third generation, right? So it's got a lot of the same monsters. So a lot of the interesting um, uh, subspecies were added in Portable Third. That's where you got the Glacier Ignactor, the Brute Tigrex, the Great Roggy, the Gombi, Nibble Snarf. I love Nibble Snarf. Nibble Duramboros, God, I love Duramboros. I want to see him back up one day. Ah, uh, helicopter. Zenogre, Arzuros, Crimson Kurapeko, Jade Baramoth, Purple Ludroth, Green Nargakuga, which I don't even remember how the heck it's different than the regular Nargakuga. The Sand Baryoth, the Baleful Giganox, Steel Uragon, and Amatsu. Or Amatsu Magatsuchi. So, its original G- Giganox was introduced in Tri as well, right? Yeah. Alien bastard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a little alien creature <laughs> or whatever <laughs> weird thingy um, I may as well continue here so yeah Monster Hunter 4 had four, 15 new monsters so generally like you're seeing a thing here like each generational release gets about two dozen yeah uh, no no like a dozen and a half new monsters so 4 had 15 like, you had... As, as, as we get to 4 because like you told me earlier that like up until this point guys none of the Monster Hunter games had what you would call like a traditional end game loop, right? It's yeah, like I the end say, game yeah. loop is just like you go hunt, HR you make unlocks. your armor sets, and you know you unlock yeah. a new monster every now and then. Like that's it. That that's your yeah, your basically Fatalis, right? Yeah. Like you then, you know unlock the final elder dragon and that's it. Just have yeah. fun playing the game. And in four, well, not four, but four ultimate, you oh, actually four, start. Actually, yeah. Four had it as well. Okay. Yeah. And, and yeah, four, so four, you actually start it. having an end game system added on top of system. it as well. Yeah. So four started it with, and it's interesting because four and four ultimate had multiple end game systems, and I think that was the the recipe for its success um, for longevity because you didn't have to engage in just one system; you can just do all of them or some of them. So four introduced the idea of um, uh, guild quests which were random quests that you would get. It would have a random pairing of monsters with a randomized instanced dungeon in the Elder Wood, I think it was called, um, or the Everwood. Um, and then you would, as you complete that quest, it would level up. 
And then at certain level tiers, like if you're the host and your quest got to level 30 or whatever it was, a certain threshold, then the rewards would start changing. You'd be put into the next tier list. And now it's technically a high rank quest. Um, and then, you know, once you got it up to a certain level, it became even harder than the highest high rank quest for the base game. It was like stupidly hard. But it also gave you the the best ability to get relic weapons, which was the, the end game. And I did not engage with the relic weapons at all at that point. But relic weapons were, you know, it was a randomized table of uh, weapon, ability, element kind of thing. And you'd have some combinations that were just so stupidly powerful that it shamed anything that the uh, the game itself had. And unfortunately, See, what ended up happening with that, though, it was a really great concept. But what everybody ended up doing was just hunting a crap ton of Shagaru and Rajang because those were the two monsters that would give you the highest tier weapons yeah. and what you got was random so to me it felt dirty like i'm going i'm aiming so for a you know crazy water weapon why am i going to get that from a rajang you know like that's stupid so, so it's like, like it. in in a way that particular end game system reminds me a lot of cult to roth which is just like you yeah. get random weapons and, and all but that in, in a way it was actually better than cult to roth because at least you you could fight like different monsters. And even though, sure, mm. Shigaru and Rajan gave you the best ones, was there a chance of you getting it with like a different monster? So like say if I was just fighting like a regular gore, could I still potentially get the best possible weapon? No. You needed to fight. Yeah. Okay. So that is definitely a problem. But at least there yeah, was two the monsters instead of one. <laughs> There's two monsters instead of one. Still better. Yeah. <laughs> I still think that that whole system was born because of Dragon Quest Nine, is my opinion. Because Dragon Quest Nine, I think it was DS, right? I think. I have um, no idea. That game had a thing in Japan where you would get randomized dungeons with like legendary treasure chests and stuff, and you would you would share them by passing random people uh, on the you know on the street. It was the street pass thing that mm. they had, and there were some like legendary maps, two legendary maps here in Japan that became total like people took the bullet train from down south to come to Tokyo just to get someone to share them the map. And it was funny because there's a there was a map called the Kawasaki Locker because it was first shared by somebody in, at the locker area of Kawasaki Station. <laughs> and it was it was like everything was perfect about this map. Like it had the right amount of levels, the right rarity loot boxes and all the boxes were right there by the stairs. So you didn't have to fight anything. It was the perfect map. It was like all the random elements come together to make like the perfect treasure map. And so people would start sharing it um, and they call it the Kawasaki Locker map. It was really funny. But <laughs> I think that's where they said because you would share these gold quests just by passing people on okay. your on your commute and you would be sharing them. So it was so, really funny. So let me see if I get this right. So you would do a quest and then that quest would generate another quest and then that would generate another quest and it just kept going up. Yeah, and you up just and up. you just started it was like it's the tempered system. You just start getting yeah. random quests against and they had, you know, anywhere between one or two monsters. Um and then, you know, the actual layout of each area in there was a little bit different. It's a little I say randomized, but it's it's not completely randomly generated. Like it's not procedurally it's, generated. It's just it's a random one pulled from different choices of maps okay yeah but, but um so, so that was yeah, like was the, the actual concept. first in game but but see this is where i have a little bit of a problem with that system is that um i don't like it when there's a system that makes the weapon tree obsolete and that's exactly what it did for gunlands 
because shelling level five, I want to say it was, was only available as a relic weapon in guild quests. And so it made every single other weapon completely pointless. I mean, one could argue at that point in the game, you've already exhausted the main quests and it didn't matter, but you know, like, come on. I don't like, I don't I, like, I don't like yeah. it. I, it's a, it's I really a bad don't power like creep. it when they when they do stuff like that. It's just like, oh, this yep. invalidates the tree. It's just like, why? What? Why is there this giant weapon tree in the game? And then you just release yeah. something that literally invalidates it. Why? It's, it's yeah. so weird. So I mean, I didn't mind it being in the game because I don't care about in-game systems. Because I started third generation, so three ultimate didn't have an in-game outside just yeah. the you know traditional hunter rank unlocks or whatever, like just unlocking a monster. And you just hunt for fun, um, and that was good. Um, so 4 had it. I didn't pl engage with it much because I don't like the idea of a random dropped weapon. I like the idea that I hunted this specific monster during that weekend to get this one. That damn orb didn't drop until the 50th one, but darn it, I did it, and I made the weapon, and I loved it. You know, like there's the memories, and it's it's tied. It's like, you know, that one time I randomly, you know, headlocked a Rajang, and I got a water weapon. Like that's that feels dirty to me. So, like... People want to do it, go for it. Um, but for Ultimate is where did I? Oh, I didn't say who the new monsters in Four was. So Ruby Basarios, Gormagala, Ketchawacha, Molten Tigrex. Oh, I love Molten Tigrex. I really want him back. Najarala, another one I love. Nursilla, Celtus, Celtus Queen, your boy Tetsukabra, Zamtrios, Darren Moran, Dalamadur, Orochikiren, Shagaru Magala, and Chaotic Gormagala. Um, for you is when they introduced a second in-game system, and this one I actually really I, I liked, and a lot of people didn't. <laughs> was it the expeditions so they, or whatever? No, no. no so they they took the um, guild quest and they 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 enhanced it, so now you can go to like above G rank, like like the level hundred or whatever it was. Like Shagaru would one shot anybody. In the, it was it was quite intense. Um, but of course you also had power creep, like. The prizes for those crazy hunts were ridiculous. Um, but that's when they first introduced weapon honing for the first time. So they had the Apex system, which I consider an endgame mechanic because you only ever had to engage with an Apex monster like two or three times during the main story. That was it. Um, so if you kill an Apex monster, which had the whole idea that you could only hit certain body parts when it was in an Apex mode, uh, otherwise everything would bounce off it or just do no damage... Um, and you would use a special whetstone and for like the next 60 seconds if you whack it you can knock it out of its apex state and then everyone just goes absolute ham on the monster until it goes apex again and then everyone sharpens up and does it again um, so the, yeah it was like walled off difficulty so a lot of people were split on this one but if you hunt an apex monster there was two items you can get you were guaranteed to get one of them but there was like the apex orb and then there was like the great apex orb right and you use those to hone a weapon. So you can choose to enhance its attack power by a little bit. It's you give it a defense boost or make it so that when you hit a monster, you regain a little bit of life. And those are the three only honing options they had. So that's and that's the, the series where they introduced that. That's the augmentations in world, basically. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So that's, so that's um, where so that, that came from. To me, that's an endgame system. That's an endgame mechanic. Because you'd find your favorite yeah. weapon, like the... Raging Brachidios Insect Glaive was mm, so good, or all the Molten Tigrex weapons, then you'd go and you hone them, you know, and you'd make multiple versions. You're like, okay, now I need two because I want to have a, a, a heal one and I want to have an attack one, you know? like. So 
if you, if you think about it, what you got with four ultimate or four G or whatever you want to call it, right? The master rank of four, you got way more monsters. You got harder difficulties, and then on top of it, much harder difficulty. Yeah. You also got the um, you know, the the system that already existed, which was the relic weapon system, and a brand new honing system with the apex monsters. The apex monsters also didn't only came in for you, right? Not in yeah. base four. Okay, so you even Correct. got like a new monster, like denominator. Subtype, I don't yeah. know subtype, whatever you want to call it. With, yeah, with yeah, the Apex like a stuff. variation. Yeah, which they carried on uh, in generations. Yeah, uh, with um. So yeah, so then generations comes out and has a whopping eighteen new monsters, which is just ridiculous. So you had Nakarkos, Gameth, Yuzitsunake, Lavender. Dude, Nakarkos, <laughs> Nakarkos, such great. a cool fight. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Malfestio, Astalos, Red, and then all the deviants. So Red Helm, Arzaro, Stone Fist, Hermitor, Hellblade, Glavinus, Snow Baron, Lagambi, Silverwind, Argakuga, Dread King, Rathalos, Dread Queen, Rathian, Drill, Tusk, Tetsukabra, Grimclaw, Tigrex, Crystal Beard, Uragon, Dead Eye, Young Garuga, and Thunder Lord, Zenogre. So everybody, these are mostly variations. Everybody loves Crystal Beard, Uragon. I know this for a fact. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one monster you could never find rooms for because no one was hunting anything. I forced I forced two of my friends to hunt that with me to make his his, his weapon for some reason. Oh then my I, gosh. And then I never used it. <laughs> yeah. And then you never used it. But the um the, the so in, in generations I have more experience because I did play a crap ton of GU. So the deviant system was interesting because these were actually monsters. They were not just like a subspecies, they had entirely different movesets to them. And you know, damage modifiers and stuff like that, and they would ha yep, they would just like gear, have their own weapons, different things about them that actually changed the monster physically. That were really really interesting. Yeah. I felt like, oh yeah, they're very different fights, right? They feel yeah. very different. It's but much more the, than just a monster and steroids. The problem the problem with that one was that the the way that the ticket system for the deviants worked was so bad. It's sorry, it's just it's like if you're it playing solo, if you're playing solo, it's fine. If you're playing in a group, then everybody has to go. Basically, you have to do the grind. However many times you have people in your group, if there's two people in your group, you have to do the grind yep. twice. If to make a full armor people, set, the, I timed it out. It generally took about seven to eight hours to make one armor set. Jesus Christ. And, that, and that's, that's like nonstop grinding. Yeah, per person. That's nonstop. Yeah. Nonstop. It's, it's and that's wild. that's a combination of multiple monsters, capture quests, hunt quests. It's draining, right? Yeah. It's um, like I, but yeah, I so feel like the end game system for that was was, was interesting because I feel that they It was just the deviants. I mean the deviants I think was the end game system, but I think they did a really good job in that the deviant weapons weren't completely busted. Like, they did have yeah. the ability to charge up Hunter Arts faster, which was awesome. Um, and they, they were really good. Um, but there was other weapons that were just as good. Yeah, that, like, that's, you know, like, that's one of the things that I really like about GU is that the the endgame systems did not cannibalize the weapon tree. So even though, yeah, yeah th like, a lot of times I would try to make my set around the Deviant weapon... I, I would recognize that, okay, I can make the set around the Deviant weapon, and it is probably, might be slightly better in some situations, slightly worse than others, but there are other weapons in the tree that are comparable, and in a lot of situations, even better. And that, to yeah, me, was cool. Even the armor cool. didn't cannibalize it, because yeah, the yeah, armor yeah. had zero slots. Yeah. So if you got really lucky and you got a talisman that had plus three 
of a deviant, then there was actually a possibility to do a slight mix set and still get the skill. But in most cases, you you had to use the full set, which yeah, means it's like if, if you, you were wanted, going to embody that monster. Yeah, if if you wanted to have like and use a deviant armor set, you were using most likely the full set for sure. I, yeah, I remember I I used cool. the I used the Bloodbath Diablos for aerial slapstick gunlands and it's like such a beast. And then I, and then I swapped I swapped the weapon for Chaotic Gormagala because the Bloodbath Diablo set was like negative crit. And then I would have the the chaotic Gore Magala one at minus forty percent affinity or something like that, and I'm like, that sounds like a great weapon. Let's go. <laughs> so that was really yeah. fun. But but see, guys, th this is one of the things that that I always bring up whenever whenever I talk about like um, I mean I, I don't actually bring it up, but whenever whenever you hear me talk about Fatalis and why I was upset about the Fatalis armor, this is why because I played yeah. GU. Potentially, like I mean, I could have played it for a longer time. I didn't play it because you you had to always, you had to kind of like do multiplayer because it's very hard to play solo for the average player, mm. in my opinion. But um, yeah. it's like I could see myself potentially playing a lot more hours of GU because of the fact that there wasn't an armor set that's like this is the end yeah, all be so, all. It's like you had so, the the Joe the jo John Cena set, which everybody called the Joe Sienna, whatever. Yeah, but the defense was, was crap, and the, and the dragon yeah. element was crap. Yeah, and it, it's, it had its downside. So it's it's something that a lot of people used, but it wasn't like and you had to glam it. You had to glam it because yeah. it looked like ass. And and it's like there were a lot of other sets that you could use that were still fun and provided with interesting playstyles, like. Solsir Mizutsune, which give you like the bubble thing. I had a friend of mine who was running uh, Snow Baron Lagambi because it gave a lot of like aerial stuff and whatnot. So there were a lot of mixed sets and crazy things that you can do with Deviant Armors that felt better than just like, nah, here's Fatalis Armor. Just like forget everything else. This is the uh, best. It works for everything. There it goes. Yeah. So Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, they had eight new monsters. So it was Atalka. Love her to death. Oh, the original, God. the original silk bind <sighs> user. Um, Valstrax, Bloodbath Diablos, Bolt Reaver, Astalos, Elder Frost, Gameth, Soulseer, Mizutsune, Night Clock, Malfestio, and Rust Razor, Senator. This game, though, had something that I think to me kind of felt like even better than they, they doubled down on the idea of let's just make a crap ton of content, like too much yeah. content, in my opinion, but. To the point that it was impossible to find people online doing the exact same thing that you wanted to do because it was just like just too many monsters in the game. Um, but they had it so that you could break the like limit break the upgrade of any weapon in the game, whether it was yeah. the stupid ass hunter's dagger, it didn't matter. Like every single weapon could be broken off and made into a G rank version or a master rank viable weapon. So you had every permutation it was over like a thousand weapons for each like there was what do you call it um and i, and I so you'd think have that, like every you'd have every permutation right yeah. you'd have like the strongest and, element but with like blue sharpness and you had like really high thunder and decent raw with white sharp like every little variation you can dream of existed it's, it's and like so it made for i really want to drive the point home that some people might not interestingly and instantly understand what you were saying but like Imagine literally everything in the weapon tree, like every Had a space, final every space in the weapon tree. I'm talking like we're talking down to the very everything. most basic iron weapon. You can upgrade that specifically, not transform it into a new weapon. Just upgrade that specific thing 
and keep pushing it all the way to G rank game. if you wanted to. Yeah, and that was it really was cool. it was amazing. And because yeah. we had the hyper system, we also had two weapons per monster, because you had the original line of it, and then you had the hyper line of it. The hyper version generally would have one exaggerated stat, so it would be like really high thunder with less raw versus the normal weapon, which might be a little bit more balanced. So you had, and those also had final form. So it was ridiculous how many weapons you had. Yeah. Um, but that just doubled down on the deviant system and the grind became ridiculous. To do one, not the non, the new ones only had five levels, but like the old monsters, it had 15 now. And in order to grind out, that would be like, it would be a whole weekend of literally just grinding the same monster over and over again. It was pretty brutal. Um, the, the, the grind but, was you know, massive, but it's it's also yeah. currently the monster in the game with the most content available because the total monster count for Generations Ultimate, I think, last time I checked, I'm just drawn from a memory. I think it's like 92. Oh, it's, crazy. it's 92 yeah, it's monsters, if, if I'm not. But mistaken. it's like, and I will say though that it there is a certain element of sloppiness in the way that they did it because it was meant to be anniversary title. Yeah. So they didn't like exactly rework every monster to work for the new mechanics that they've introduced. So Elytrion not so like, good. <laughs> oh yeah, and then they also introduced all the second generation maps and on top of like the yeah. third and fourth generation maps, and they show like their age because they're all flat. They're all stupidly long. You die at the top of the old volcano. It takes you like ninety seconds to get back to the hunt. It's like. Uh, but the idea was to just have everything and all in one yeah. game, like everyone's here. So I appreciate it for that. Yeah, it's it's but, it's, a, it's a celebration more than anything. But yeah, the generations ultimate when it came to uh, it's you know it's it's evolution from generations to generations ultimate. Basically, what you ended up getting was uh, new deviants, and some of the new deviants actually started at uh, at a higher. It? Yeah. They, they they had different levels. So well, that they you didn't high have rank to grind and master them. rank. Yeah. And so they didn't have a low so rank. You, did, you didn't have to. It's interesting to say this, but you didn't have to grind the new deviants as much as the old ones. Oh, yeah. So, so the so old funny. deviants would have like 15 levels of quests plus the EX version, which was just like uh. so much. It's it's unthinkable. But they added like new levels yeah. to every single deviant. They added like new monsters. They add, it's just content. Like that. That's what you got with GU. It wasn't even just like. You know, we can say that the content. the deviants are like kind of the end game system. You know, going after and defeating all of the EX monsters, which I never did. Um, yeah, they just gave you too much to do. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> just like here's all the content oh. you can possibly imagine. You're never gonna finish this game. Have fun. Yeah, that that's kind of like yeah, what GU did with the master version, the master yeah. rank so it, ultimate. Some people whatever. didn't like because it, it it made it so it was very hard to come up with an objective of what you wanted to do. But yeah. for people who could come up with things they wanted to do it was endless yeah pretty much and then world came out world had 19 new monsters which is a hell of a lot um so 19 yeah. new monsters it was it was remember it also had um this was the first time they were actually able to do updates to a game up until this point everything was shipped on the game uh so for example you know um what's a good example uh, like Silver Rathalos, the Hyper Silver Rathalos wasn't available until like, I don't know, like nine months after the game came out here in Japan from Generations Ultimate because the set was like really good uh, and really hard to make because that monster was real pain. But they, they time-locked it, so they only released it as an event quest after, you know, half a year or whatever. So it was like DLC, but it was already on the game card. It's just that you were unlocking on, it, right? On-disc DLC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
but it wasn't paid for it, it wasn't paid for it wasn't paid for so it's it's, yeah. it's not as bad <laughs> yeah so wait, did you say nine months world, or six months yeah it was like six or nine it was a long time because if it was nine months it was like delivering a baby <laughs> oh man well then generations ultimate also did the ultimate sin in my opinion and capcom i love you but you dropped the the the, the ball on this one but there was one skill added to the prowler in generations or double cross in japan which was a weakness exploit for prowler it was a special cat that they gave away that had it which meant you could send then start teaching it to all your other cats and they forgot to release it in the west so weakness exploit when people people have it but it's because they hacked it in there um they never officially released it which is just bad but anyways They'll learn from that. But now we're in modern times, right? So games can be updated. Uh, they yeah. can squash bugs. They can add features. They can add monsters. It's a good time to be alive. So I'm including all the monsters outside of even base. So when I say 19, it was actually more like probably like 14 um, on par with the other games. But then they added monsters over the course of a year, yeah. which gave them more time to develop them, which also made a lot of the fights a lot better. Like a lot of the fights that they added in later, I think, you know, were really good. They were more than just, you know, a reskin. So you had Andanath, Radaban, Kuluyaku, Puke Puke, Tsiziyaku, Basilgeese, Legiana, Palulumu, Jurotodus, Dodogama, Great Giras, Great Jagras, Odogaron, Tobikadachi, Kalvtarath, Nurgigante, Velhazak, Zenojiva, and Zora Magdaros. It's a lot of monsters. And the end game system for that was basically if you, tempered investigations. Tempered, tempered monsters. Yeah. Tempered and um, that was tied to decorations, yeah. Yeah, tempered so investigations like you, you, tied to decorations. You guys need to understand, before World, you could always craft decorations. And in World, yeah. they changed that where decorations were random, but it. you could craft charms. The community is still divided on this topic, interestingly enough. Yep, I, I know. I, I need to make an updated poll, and I can make a video about it later, but I need to make an updated poll of, as how people feel at the it's, moment. I think, it's a, I think it's a psychological thing. I really do. Yeah. Because, because, because like, previously, Rise, people are like, you know, yeah, but you can hunt anything now and get the best, you know, the best pull from, but, like, the best people, pool of talismans. But people are like, but I want it on the results screen of that hunt. I don't want to have to it to be separate. And not, All they and have to just, do is is pre-spend those tickets for me. Just give me two random you know, charms from that hunt. I'm like, it's the same thing. If anything, it's more restricted. I don't care. It's yeah. different. I'm like, this eh, is psychologically different. It, it's not only that, but left to their own devices, as uh, I don't remember who was it that said it, but left to their own devices, players will optimize the fun out of a game. So whereas yeah. I would be hunting like every monster under the sun, people would be complaining Narwa, Narwa, in my Narwa, videos Narwa, like, Narwa, Narwa, Narwa. why do I have to keep hunting Narwa? And I'm like, well... You don't. you don't and it's like but it's the most efficient way and i'm like oh, okay i mean sure go hunt narwa i guess yeah. it's like Efficient i don't doesn't always mean fun. i've i've barely hunted narwa at all which would definitely show whenever they added the harder versions of narwa and people would go into my stream it's like oh my god do you even hunt this much it's like no i don't i don't like it I don't. and <laughs> it's like I don't and here care. me and you know we were just hunting her yeah. for fun we didn't even <laughs> care about the talismans yeah but it, it, it's like I personally liked the way that they did it because, like, you could hunt literally any monster, and you would always get materials that you could pump into the the melding thing. So it's like whatever. Um, yeah. But so yeah. I'll I'll try to speed us up because I know we're, we're this is supposed to be a shorter episode, but we're going <laughs> long. But Monster Hunter World Iceborne added in seventeen monsters. So that was Black Veil, Valhazak, Fosterang, Berioth, Ruinary Gigante, 
Seizing Battle Geese, uh, Shrieking Legiana, Acidic Glavinus, Coral Pukepuke, Fulgur Anjanath, lots of subspecies, Ebony Odogaron, Nightshade Palalumu, Viper Tobogadachi, Namiel, Beotodus, Banbaro, Sephajiva, Shara Ishivalda, and Velkana. So, Bombard like that so also amazing. was... <laughs> Bombaro, <laughs> he's the man. <laughs> uh, I don't. I actually don't have a list for Rise um, because I wrote this list before Rise came out. Yeah. Um, which is good because I don't I I've I've talked enough and Rise is current enough that people know what's in the game, yeah. but I'd say the end game in Iceborne was really interesting because they took the ideas from the past games, and they put them all in there right. Um, but they had the benefit of being able to update the game later and improve on it based on player feedback, and I think they did a really good job because I came back after half a year and I fell in love with the end game or hated it initially. I really did not like it. Um, but they had the idea of the, the the grinding lands, as we jokingly call it, yeah. but the guiding lands. So the guiding lands was just like that free hunt area that had all the biomes, all the monsters, and that was where you got parts to augment your weapons. I think that so to get the the guiding lands is potentially out of all of the end game systems that I've seen in Monster Hunter, guiding lands is my favorite. And I know that not everybody likes it, but it was just such a such an amazing thing that. Um, you basically would get to the end of the game and you're like, here's a brand new map. Because if you think about previous entries, right, uh, you would always get like maybe one map tops per G rank, right? It was always one map. Like I, I know that for generations, you got the Ruined Pinnacle. I don't know what you got for four ultimate because, I, you know, in the West, we only got four ultimate. So I don't know which map it was. Uh, I also don't know what you got for three ultimate. Which map was it? Do you know? I don't know. But yeah, in um in world we got like Horfrost Reach and then we got Guiding Lands. So I yeah. would expect at least one new map for um Sunbreak. But you were I think we discussed this a long time ago in the podcast and you were saying yeah. that you were I consider like I consider the Horfrost I consider the Horfrost Reach uh to be like three maps. Uh two or three because it unlocks gradually. You had like the yeah. lower part, the middle part and the upper it was part massive. and Different tiers of monsters appeared in those, and it was a really big map. So I kind of feel like just with the nature of the game, I think I'm expecting three new fields for Sunbreak. Three new? I think three. I think three is a little bit overreach. I I, I think maybe two for sure two. though. Definitely more than one. More I than one for, for sure. sure. Yeah, but the, the maps I are think. simpler in Rise, and 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 at this point, guys, we're just like kind of like trying to establish what you can kind of expect for Sunbreak, and potentially yeah. two two to three new maps, maybe depending on whether or not they do something similar to Guiding Lands. I don't I don't know if they would or not. I don't yeah, think I they don't would know. do something just like Guiding Lands, but no, I could potentially it's a portable see them. game still. They don't want yeah. people having to play long sessions and stuff so, like that. So, so it's probably two to three new areas. I'm leaning more towards two. Gaijin, are you leaning more towards three? I don't know. Yeah, oh. I'm leaning more towards three. Okay. We're going to get Because some... we're going to a brand new region for yeah. the story, and I, I don't think that they could possibly get away with just two new areas for a whole new story. I think they would double down for three. Because you got to remember, the base game is all the hard work, right? Like finding yeah. out the bounds of the system. Like how big can the maps be? How tall can they get? How low can they get? What, how do we program the geometry? How do, like all that hard base programming work is done on the base game. They know their boundaries right now, so they can now start, and they've been for a long time probably, uh, building out other maps and other things. So I imagine it's mu it's it's incredibly faster to, for them to, to integrate different things. And, I mean, Master Rank technically only has 
you know, it's only one difficulty thing. So I don't think you, you know, like, I just don't see how they can, I can't formulate my thoughts. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say whatever I think, I think three, but I, I would say, I mean, ultimate releases are never exactly the same size as the base game. So to say they're usually yeah. like, you know, like half or more depending, but there's usually like some type of mechanic or just the fact that every, uh, when, once you have master rank armor, it generally means like, okay, like it doesn't get any better than this. So you kind of like want to make all the armor for all the monsters yeah, because they're, they're all going to like, they're the best versions that they can be. So it's like, now I can say I've bested that monster. I don't have to fight it again. Uh, kind of idea. And the um, for better so, or worse, <laughs> so so I would expect like we're saying two to three maps potentially, uh, a lot more monsters. Um, you know how many of those are going for to be all the big ones? Yeah, there's going to be a bunch of subspecies you know. for sure. Uh, there's going to probably be like a lot of new monsters as well. There's going to be some returning ones. Uh, in terms of what we'd like to see with returnings, I mean, me and Gadget have said it repeatedly: give us Duran Moran or give us death. Uh, <laughs> we, we want a big spectacle fight. Um, and failing that, a Talca would also be really cool. I think everybody yeah. wants Gore Magala. Uh, Super Rad wants Legiacris. I'd like Legiacris as well. <laughs> but, I don't. Um, I'm the and, one person who... I, I, I actually don't care. Anything uh, is good with me. I people people who, are, who are wondering, is there going to be underwater combat in Sunbreak? Probably not, because these yeah, are no, features... That you would expect that's, to that's see in the big, base that's game. That's a game-changing feature, right? And then yeah. you'd get a really weird point where it's like, okay, imagine the consumer who's just buying Sunbreak and the base game as one package game, right? Like, because they didn't play Rise. They mm. were waiting. Their first initial experience of the game for, like, over half of it, there's not going to be any underwater. Yeah. Like, the, the mm. entire definition of what the game is and the movesets don't revolve around it and none of the monsters, the fights, the rampage, everything is completely disconnected it's like literally forcing someone to play the previous game before they could play the sequel yeah. like so, at that point so it's like i think they have to tie it in changing changing features like that like people ask like do you think there's going to be underwater do you think there's going to be like new weapons no new weapons probably not as well i mean i'm not going to say never say never but i would highly doubt that they would introduce a new weapon in a uh, g rank slash master rank slash ultimate expansion because it's never been done basically yeah they, whenever I they mean, that, that's something that that's something you would want to do for like a, a numbered title, right? Yeah, like to, exactly. To help define it, you know, like the Insect Glaive was the poster boy of Monster Hunter Four, right? Because Insect Glaive like, and Charge Blade, and Charge Blade, but that was it was very obvious in Japan that they added that as an afterthought, because um, that was in the base four, and it just was not nearly as fleshed out in four. Um, they changed that in four Ultimate, obviously, but. It was much more basic in four, and it felt a little last minute. Um, and the and the whole idea of mounting and and, and even the the, the starting verticality. cinematic the starting cinematic shows the insect glaive prominently. Yeah. So yes, it does make sense. But it's like for all those of you wanting like a new weapon or something like that, that would have to be a monster hunter thing. I mean, almost sure that at the end of the day, we don't have inside information. We're just speculating yeah. based on previous experiences. For all we know, Sunbreak here's a new weapon, but you know the data. The data would indicate otherwise from our experience. Yeah. Like my that guess, is the game though, if I had thing. to, is I think it would make sense if they did something like they did with Generations Ultimate, where they in, or even for ultimate for that or far for that matter is that I think that they would add in 
a new variation on every monster. For example, like we have this bloodlust thing going on or this blood bat thing going on with Mel, what's his name? Malzino. Malzino. Yeah. Malzino. Um, so like you have sort of like the frenzied monsters, you know, like, you In know, they floor, would almost yeah. like, they would almost like pseudo die and then they would like come back and they were like much stronger and deadly. Um, then you had hyper monsters, which I really enjoyed in generations where certain parts of their body would start to glow randomly. And those parts of the monster would deal much more damage. But if you hit them, you, you would get your gauge build up faster. Like it was like a, you know, just raising the stakes kind of thing. I really like that. I imagine they'll have some sort of, you know, uh, version of whatever, blah, blah, like add in adjective, right. And then monster. So some type of descriptor. I, that so, I mean, would be a very easy way to make variations on armor. They and gave us and stuff. They gave us apex monsters in base rise. So this would be something that would be added on top of that potentially. Yeah, think? on top of it, because I almost see like I I'm looking at apex or like the deviants from generations, and I think that we need something that sort of replaces something like hyper. So yeah. something it's like tempered in in world, right? It's like something that just makes them a little bit more deadly. And we can add in some different rewards. I think would be perfect. Um, yeah, I could I, c- I, c- I could I could see them do the particularly in you know in a in a follow up like Sunbreak, which is from the portable team as we were talking about. Like I could see them yeah. being a lot a lot experimental with it, and even I would even argue arcadey because the game definitely yeah. feels extremely arcadey and less like the, the the simulation that we've expected that we've seen yeah. in previous games so but what excites like, me a lot about this one this is a new director debut though suzuki-san has yeah. not been he's worked on tons of the past games as a as a game designer but he's not been a director right so i'm really interested because the director kind of gets to call the shots on how to make that end game right and how to if they want to add in an end of game mechanic that you do post credits where you can really dig in hours and feel like you're getting new stuff out of it that's their call so it'd be very interesting to see what he has plans for. Um, I think, you know, Daisuke was in a bad spot with Double Cross or Generations Ultimate because that was designed, I think, in my opinion, to be like a one-off release. I don't think it was meant to get an expansion, but I think they needed to buy time for World to get finished. And so, like, they already had an endgame system in the base game, so you had, like, Deviants and, and all that. So it's like he just kind of, like, tacked on more. Um because I just don't think they had a plan for it. Um, but then he proved his muscle in Iceborne. I thought, you know, when it first came out, it had some issues, but they fixed them. Uh, the Guiding Lands were fantastic, I think. Yeah. So I don't know what the... There was literally, I would say, no so-called endgame loop in Monster Hunter Rise, um, really. I mean, even the Apex monsters were part of the critical pr- progression. They were part of the Rampage, so I wouldn't even consider them post-credit content. A lot of people um, so considered I'm, the charm system to be an endgame system. I I don't think I'd go that far. I don't. But, no, yeah. I wouldn't either. Because, I mean, ultimately, the charm system really, at the end of the day, only required slots. It didn't actually matter what the skills were. If you got a decoration with a, a 2 2 1, like you're set. You can make pretty much almost every set in the game just with the decorations because they, they're almost all, you know, they're all craftable. So, yeah, with the the skills, just like it lets you create more extravagant sets, but yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know the rampage weapons. I guess you can kind of consider them post game content, but like not maybe not the most engaging uh, for people. I, so I don't think our, they're gonna. This is our I, final. I still chance. think they're gonna step away from. Yeah, 
that, that, that's that's what I was gonna say. This is our final chance to talk about our rampage is gonna be there or not. You're thinking not. I'm thinking not. Right? Not yeah. no rampage for some. Rampage is gonna be just like a base rise feature. It was a cool it idea, and it, and it works really good for Kamuda yeah. Village for the story. I don't. I think they would embrace the idea of not doing it in in yeah. Sunbreak. I think try something new. But I think as they learned some cool things, things not to do and things to do. Uh, there were some cool ideas. Again, there, that's so. that's one of the advantages that's of the these point. ones is that they get to experiment with them and go crazy and figure stuff out. And then when the numbered series come around, they, they you know they they pick and choose. Okay, we like this yeah. thing. We didn't like that thing. We so it's 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 an experiment. Now, what I want to see them do though, I want to see them go back to what they did in Generations, which is allow you to f- make final grade upgrades for every weapon in the game. I that do think the UI awesome. would look really ridiculous. It would like like wait what what the hell like like they'd have but to you know what I think that's kind of like for it. Yeah, but I think that would be cool. I think that'd be fun. That would be cool. Would whether I, whether or not they're going to do it though, I have I don't know. It. I have I don't know. It'll be interesting um, to see. I think they will definitely add in something for Apex monsters. I think they'll definitely add in like armor for them because I think that yeah. was a global feedback from all players that they wanted something. But I hope they do something like the Deviants where it's like no slots, but it's like yeah. very special, very cool armor that like embraces, you know, that monster. Like I said, I, I just don't want to see like the the level of power creep that we saw in Iceborne, which is just like yeah, oh, it was too much. New monsters out. This is now the best stuff. New monsters out. This is now yeah. the best stuff. I I don't want that. But I they want, don't. I don't think I they need stuff to because it's a portable relevant. game. Yeah. But um, so, but yeah, that that's kind that of like brings us to the end of the history. That that's kind of like our what we would how we would temper your expectations as to what to expect for Sunbreak. It's like I wouldn't go in expecting new weapons. I wouldn't go in expecting like underwater combat at this point. Like we said, those we think are game defining things that would come with the next game in the franchise. Uh, what you should expect is a lot of new monsters. So I'm I'm going to throw a number out there in between like subspecies and all of that stuff. I think that by the time they're done with their updates, I think we see like 30 more monsters. Minimum, if not more. Like wow. I'm talking like with updates and stuff. That that's hmm. that's what I would shoot for cuz like if you think about it, the the in terms of just like looks, these monsters Remember, Ice Farm was 17. 17 but but like 17 the, how is updates. the totals though i'm talking about huh wait so 17 new things and with updates but the yeah. thing is i believe that the geometry for starters they have a new engine which is not the empty framework engine they're working on i mean it's not a new engine it's re engine and re engine appears to be much easier to work with so oh, yeah. i would imagine that for them it's easier to make the monsters on top of it these monsters are not as visually detailed as the monsters in um in world and when i say new monsters by the way i'm talking about like new monsters added to the game so like returning monsters and uh actually subspecies yeah returning monsters yeah. Subspecies, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put my i'm gonna put my gut at 20 just because we have like the past games is like 17 18 17 19 18, I think I think they're gonna I, blow us out of the water with thirty, dude. That that'd be awesome. I I think that's what they'll do. Um, you know, we're, you're gonna see like new upgrades for your weapons. Take them all the way up to G mm-hmm. rank. You're gonna see new. Um, obviously, I hope they add in a dojo for monsters. the for the cats. I really hope they add a dojo because 
It would you be mean, really nice to be so able to teach we, skills. We kind of have a dojo already, but what Gajin is saying is swapping skills between palicos. So like if you have a palico that has yeah. a certain skill, you can teach that skill to another palico. That would be cool because it would make it a lot easier for people to make their perfect palico, which right now is a nightmare. I was super lucky. I got two palicos exactly like I wanted, like one after the other on PC. It was like that. It's like, boom, I'm done. Okay. And I got an idea that will blow your mind. Okay. I think. I don't think they'll do it, but if they do, oh my God. So we Take got- Take notes, the, Capcom. Yeah. So we, we, well, it depends on how good the idea is, but uh, I was envisioning this the other day. I was thinking about it. So you have, obviously the Palamute is special because you can ride it. And the Palico is just kind of there and assisting you in doing its attack and stuff, right? So taking the idea of something similar to the Palico, so something that you're not riding on or interacting with, but something that can do lots of different abilities, wouldn't it be cool if there was a third type of pet and the owls can join the fight? Hmm. So you can have a fighting owl with you. I can't remember their names. I feel bad. Cahoots. Cahoots. Can you imagine having battle cahoots that can do different feel, things like palicos? It feels no? like they would be frail. No, well, like they're they flying frail. above the monster, dumping crap on everybody. Like they don't. They're safe. I don't know what I. You know what I would like no. to see even more than that? Okay, never mind, Capcom. It was a bad no, no, idea. No, 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 no. I don't think it's a bad idea, but I'll tell you something that I would like to see even more than that. I would like to see them bring back something that they did in for Ultimate, which was combination attacks with your Palicos. Yeah, that'd be neat. And then not just attacks, it... like combination skills. Like you'd actually, sometimes you'd be, for those of you that never played for Ultimate, sometimes you know that they, get, those like, exist in Rise. They're just super obscure and they're impossible to see. But really? they actually do exist. Yeah, there's certain moves that your dog will do if you do sp certain attacks with certain weapons. Uh, there are combinations that trigger, but they're so everything's so fast and crazy. No, no, no. But I, I want to see something like you know the when you got the wrath of meow that in, in for you it actually took like two palicos getting together to bring out the wrath of meow. That's the level of stuff that I want to see. When you had like the cool. really big health horn that both Palicos would go in there, start dancing, and then they would blow the horns like, boom, massive heal for everybody. And this was cool because you would actually, say you were playing with two players, you'd need to have Palicos that were compatible and that would have the same skill, and then it would like trigger it together. It's like, boom, go. And that was friggin' awesome. And that is what I would like to see. I want to see those crazy combinations with, with them. Because I play with two Palicos. I mean, even have them combined with the Palamute. Like, maybe the Palico rides yeah. the Palamute into battle all of a sudden. That'd be cool. Yeah, we got artwork showing the Palico riding on a Palamute. The, Pal the Palico... Concept art. Don't they ride on the Palamute sometimes when you're in a quest? They might, actually, yeah. I think they do. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like... But the I'm thing just, is, I'm, I've been I playing double Palico. I just the game to be very finessed. Yeah. I, I've been playing double Palico for so long that I don't even know. But uh, yeah, yeah. But basically, it's like like we were saying, it's an expansion. It's not something that's going to completely change the game. It's just more of what you like about Rise. So let's put it like this: If you're one of the people that you know you got to Rise and you're like, I didn't like the base version of Rise, I'm not sure that Sunbreak's going to change your mind. I don't think it would. Yeah, I, th I think that because I mean the the DNA of the game is set. It is the DNA yeah. of the game. The wire bug is the wire bug. The speed, the the formula, the feel. I think it's set. If, if you're the, someone, yeah, if you're someone that's in the camp that like, okay, world was much better, and I regret having played Rise, then you're better off waiting for the next one. I'm just being real. Like, I don't think Sunbreak's yeah. going to 
I don't think it's going to change your mind. But I do on think that. Sunbreak will be if you liked Rise, but yeah, there's something about yeah. it that felt lacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just something about the release that felt kind of off, uh, a little. Mm, if you if you, you feel like, like that, I think this will be the one for you. Yeah, if you feel like Rise was good, but you felt like you ran out of content too fast, Sunbreak is definitely going to be for you. I that, think it's going to hit a home run. Yeah. I think, but, I think they know what they're doing. But we'll have more to tell you on that next week i'll be live streaming the whole thing uh you know Ooh. the actual event as it happens i'll be live streaming it i don't know exactly what time that is going to be at but if you're it's available right it's in, it's in 10 minutes from now it's 10 minutes from now for me. dude yeah. do you want do you want to you want to be on the stream no i'm going to be in the living room watching it with you know we're going to right. we're going to get popcorn we're going to have a blast <laughs> okay fine be that way. <laughs> what what is this? Can't I mean, believe it's... can't believe you'd rather watch this with your daughter than with me. But okay. <laughs> hey, children Trump sp- tr- children Trump in game spouses. Yeah, that- sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, guys, we'll have more to say about this obviously next week. We just wanted to kind of like set the stage, tell you guys a little bit about the history of development of Monster Hunter, yeah. so that people go in with realistic expectations. They're not expecting like, oh I'm my hyped. god, I Sunbreak love... is gonna explode everything. It's like I'm super hyped for Sunbreak because I loved Rise. I still love I mean, Rise. So you know, me, I mean, I love Japan and the whole theme of that village. But you also have to remember, like, I was. I was a goth in high school. Like I love Western medieval gothic crap, uh, the the, the Edge Lord stuff. I love it. So like Dark Souls, Bloodborne. Now we're going to be going to like castles with knights and vampire inspired. Oh come on, sign me up. I'm I'm awesome. so excited. It's uh, oof, it's gonna be good. But yeah, that's gonna be it for this episode, which was supposed to be shorter, but turned out yep. to be about yep. usual length. So yep, <laughs> we'll see you guys in the next one. Stay strong. Stay safe. Happy hunting.